0: You are listening to a sermon by Dr. Richard Caldwell, produced by Walking in Grace. Walking in Grace is a listener-supported ministry. If you'd like to know how you can help these messages reach more people, visit walkingingrace.org. Matthew chapter 11 is where we return this evening in our study of God's Word. Matthew chapter 11, and we read again at verse 20 down to the 24th verse. The Word of God says this. Then he began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would remain to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Let's ask our God's blessing on our time and His Word tonight. Father in heaven, thank you for a good day, a sweet day to us of worshiping together, being encouraged together, being confronted by the truth together. A day, Lord, when we had the opportunity to look into the mirror of your word and see ourselves, thanking you for what you've done in our case, each one of us who truly belongs to you, Lord, thanking you for granting us the repentance that embraced your son for life, thanking you for introducing us into a life of repentance where you go on dealing with us about our sins, leading us, Lord, in self-judgment, but also being so faithful so that when we are slow to judge ourselves, you judge us as a father would, bringing us, Lord, to the point of renewed submission to you. We give you thanks that you don't let go of us, that you've taken hold of us for forever. We come each time before your word in a needy fashion. So many needs represented in this room some that are known to others, some that are known only to the individual. But I'm grateful that your word and your spirit are sufficient to meet the needs of your people, that in our Savior we have all sufficiency for life and godliness. This gives us comfort. This gives us courage. Lord, would you take your word in hand tonight and do your work in our lives? We gather regularly in obedience to you. This is not something we do out of tradition. This is something we do because your word instructs us to gather regularly and faithfully together. And there, Lord, your word will go forth and your word will do its work in the life of your church that no other instrument will accomplish. And so, would you tonight take this time of preaching and use it for the good of your people? We are also mindful there are people hearing me who don't know you. And we long for salvation to come to them and we rejoice greatly when even as this morning we hear baptism testimonies and we hear of people whom you are saving and making your own. Lord, would you do that even this evening? We'll give you praise for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Our Lord is addressing three Galilean cities that are emblematic of the entire nation of Israel. The kingdom is being presented. The kingdom has come near. The forerunner has gone before the Messiah, and the King himself has been preaching that people must repent and receive the kingdom as it's being presented to them. Clearly, there were Jewish people who received that message. There were Israelites who trusted in their Messiah. The Lord's disciples are Jewish. But as you know, and as The Gospel of Matthew will go on to tell us the nation as a whole rejected the offer. Rejected the forerunner, rejected the king, rejected the kingdom. That has meant riches for the rest of the world. We sit here tonight as a result of God's sovereign plan for saving the nations. He's not done with Israel. There's still a plan for what He's going to do to fulfill every promise made to that nation in the future. But this age we are in now, the church age, is the result in God's sovereign plan of their disobedience and the riches that have gone now to the world. Nonetheless, the people who reject it are responsible. They are responsible. God's sovereignty, man's responsibility, both are true, and these verses make that clear. And so these three cities are emblematic of the entire nation. But they are also emblematic of the entire human race apart from the grace of God. All men born from Adam, since Adam, are born with a nature that is deserving of the wrath of God. We confirm that by the way that we go on living after birth. Sinners by nature, sinners by choice, deserving of the wrath of God. So that if man is left to himself, if God doesn't grant the new birth, if God doesn't Grant eyes to see and ears to hear, men stubbornly go on in unbelief. How can you have tremendous, supernatural, amazing things taking place in these cities, yet they go on in their stubborn unbelief? The answer is because they are evil, because their works are evil, because they love their evil, they prefer darkness to light. John 3.18, whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And so what we have is our Lord pronouncing woes, denouncing the cities in which His Mightiest works were done because they would not repent. So this morning we began considering three woeful results when the truth is refused. Wisdom is vindicated by her deeds, our Lord said in verse 19. In the end, wisdom will be proven to be wisdom. And what the Lord now is revealing is the end of the matter. You say John has a demon, you say the Son of Man is a glutton and a drunkard, you refuse the light, you reject the truth. In the end, wisdom will be proven to be wisdom, and you will be proven to be foolish. And he's explaining how that is going to come to pass in the end. And so this morning we began considering the first one, the first woeful result of refusing the truth. Tonight we continue with the other two. But let me just briefly review, if you were not here this morning, First of all, we saw that refusing truth results in guilt. Then he began to denounce the cities. This is a rebuke. This is to criticize what is worthy of criticism. This is justifiable condemnation. He's denouncing the cities in which most of his miracles were done. This is what characterizes the three cities that he names. He names Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. What do those three cities have in common? Most of his mighty miracles were done in those cities. What he denounces in those cities is that they had not repented. They were given great light, tremendous revelation, yet they had not received the message being communicated by those signs. We talked this morning about how the signs were not given in a vacuum, there was preaching that preceded and followed and accompanied those signs. So that the signs were confirming messages, meant to confirm the message being communicated, meant to confirm the messengers, John the Baptist as the forerunner, Jesus as the Messiah, and the message was unmistakable, which is why the people are responsible. It didn't matter if they were convinced or not, they should have been convinced. God gave sufficient revelation for them to be convinced. So that when they refused the message communicated by the signs, their guilt was increased. This is good news of salvation, coming to guilty people, people who are already guilty. And the message had to do with how their guilt can be relieved, how they can be forgiven of all their sins, reconciled to God, saved, so that when the guilty... Refused the message that would relieve them of their guilt, they are guiltier still. They did not repent. Sometimes they were amazed, sometimes they admired Jesus, but they would not repent. We talked about what repentance is. What is repentance? The word is used a lot, but I fear it's not commonly understood. Repentance is a change of mind and heart that results in a change of course. Where you have genuine repentance, there is godly sorrow. God has so changed the heart and the mind that now, in whatever realm repentance is taking place, there is agreement with God. Whereas before there was disagreement with God, there was evil, there was error, now there is agreement with God which means a revolutionized disposition, a transformed worldview. The eyes have been opened, the heart has been made flesh, the ears are listening, and there's an agreement with God that means self-judgment. Now God's message concerning sin is personal, it's not just about sin, it's about my sin. And I agree with God over my sin, which means I'm willing to turn from my evil ways. But wherever you have repentance, there's also faith. There's belief in the truth, a submission to the truth, a commitment to the truth. So I'm willing to turn from my evil and my error to embrace the truth as it is in Jesus Christ, and now to embrace a new course of life. There's a sorrow that's not worldly in nature, it doesn't lead to destruction, it's godly in nature it leads to salvation. It is not just remorse. It is looking to God for the solution, for the remedy, for the answer concerning what has been wrong in my life. Receiving the forgiveness that He offers me and trusting Him for the transformation that only He can produce in me. These people refused to repent. They didn't agree with the indictment They didn't agree with the prognosis, they didn't agree with the remedy, and so they would not embrace the great physician, and they remained in their sins. Their guilt increased. Now tonight we begin with the second thing that happens where truth is refused, the second woeful result, and I say woeful because as we mentioned this morning, Christ Is using a word that communicates both warning and compassion. There's a sadness in it. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. How terrible it will be for you. As he wept over Jerusalem, even as he pronounced the vengeance of God upon that city, so he is pronouncing the vengeance of God, the wrath of God that is coming, and yet there's sadness in it. These are woeful results. These are sad results. Tragic to watch people reject the truth. And where the truth is rejected, refused, there is guilt. Second, refusing truth increases judgment. Judgment. More light, if it is refused, means more guilt. More guilt means greater judgment. I said it this morning, I'll repeat it. This is why receiving truth should be a trembling experience. This is why it is a sobering experience. To receive truth is a blessing. Every believer in this place, our our lives are enriched because God brought His truth to us and by His grace worked in our lives so that we received it. There's great joy where truth is believed. But there's great judgment where truth is refused. Better not to have known the truth than to know it and refuse it. Because where there's more light, there's more guilt if it's refused. Where there's more guilt, there's a greater judgment. And Jesus drives that point home when he compares these three Galilean cities to three famously wicked cities. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which had, which occurred in you, it would remain to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. These are shocking words to Jewish ears. Jesus, are you really comparing cities where there are Israelites to Phoenician cities like Tyre and Sidon? Are you really comparing Capernaum to Sodom? What do we know about these three infamous cities? Well, I mentioned that Tyre and Sidon were Phoenician cities, often denounced by God's prophets in the Old Testament in the strongest terms, famous for their Baal worship, famous for their ungodly pagan practices, living in close proximity to the people of God so their deeds are well known and despised by the people of God. Read Isaiah chapter 23, it is a condemnation of Tyre and Sidon. Read Ezekiel chapters 26 through 28, devoted to the condemnation of Tyre and Sidon. In Amos chapter 1, you find a condemnation of Tyre. Amos 1.9 says, Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Tyre and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they delivered up a whole people to Edom and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. So I will send a fire upon the wall of Tyre, and it shall devour her stronghold. Joel 3.4, Zechariah 9.2-4, pronounced disaster for these cities. Leon Morris commenting said this, Jesus brings out the enormity of the sin of the people of Chorazin and Bethsaida by calling to mind Tyre and Sidon, important coastal cities to the north of Israel. They had been great and powerful cities for centuries and their proximity to Israel had meant a good deal of contact. Since they were heathen cities, their customs offended the Israelites, and the cities thus were well known for their shortcomings. They had been vigorously denounced by the prophets for their wickedness. These are famously wicked people. And Jesus is saying to Chorazin and Bethsaida, one day they're going to be in a better position than you. And we need no introduction to Sodom. We know about Sodom, a city saturated with wickedness and perversion, destroyed by God with fire. Genesis nineteen twenty three: the sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And He overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground? But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley... God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrown, out of, the, of the overthrow when He overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Jesus says, "To these Galilean cities, it is going to be, verse 22, more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you." He says to Capernaum, "It will be verse twenty four. It will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. How can that be? Well, because those famously wicked cities never received the light, never received the revelation that these Galilean cities received. If they had seen what you saw, what you have seen." If they had been exposed to what you've been exposed to, they would have repented. Sodom would still be in existence. Galilee, do you understand what you've received? you understand the light you've been exposed to and the weightiness of receiving that revelation? Not only the guilt that you are incurring as you reject this light, but the judgment that is being stored up as you refuse this revelation. Where truth is refused, judgment is increased. That's sobering, isn't it? Have you thought about your own life in this regard? To be raised in a Christian home is a tremendous blessing, but it also brings great accountability. Raised in a home where every day from before you were born until this day you've been prayed for, people who have loved you by bringing the gospel to you again and again and again throughout your years of being raised, when you... Obey, it is tied to the knowledge of God. When you disobey, it is addressed in the knowledge of God. Taken by your parents into a faithful church, in the case of of a church like this, into a faithful church where the Word of God is taught regularly and faithfully and tirelessly. What light have you been given throughout your life? What accountability if you refuse it? We all live in a time where biblical truth is available to us like no other generation. You forget your Bible at home, you pick up your phone, and it's there. If you didn't have time, you woke up late, you're in a rush, headed out the door, you didn't have time to read it, you can listen to it, in your car, wherever you're going not just preachers of this generation, but preachers of previous generations, Martin Lloyd-Jones, S. Lewis Johnson, you can listen to their sermons. You never had a chance to hear Spurgeon with your ears, but there are people who read his sermons. You can listen to them. Books you can download to your iPad or your Kindle. Never has a generation had the opportunity and the exposure to biblical truth like this one. What kind of accountability belongs to such a generation? To worship in a sound church where the truth is upheld in every way. We come, we sing, rich truths celebrated, declared in song, faithful with scripture reading twice every service, prayers filled with biblical truth Sermons delivered that have been poured over and prayed over and labored over. What kind of accountability belongs to faithful churches? Our Lord taught about this even through parables. Luke 12, verse 40 says, You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Do you know what characterizes genuine believers? They're always waiting and watching for the Lord's return. Do you know what characterizes false professors, they claim they're looking for Jesus and then live every day as if he's not coming. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating, right? So you have one who's destroyed, but you have another who is severely disciplined, He knew his master's will, but didn't get ready or act according to his will. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much was required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. What is our Lord teaching? He's teaching that where there's more light, if it's refused, there's more guilt. Where there's more light, if it's refused, there's greater judgment. And that's true not only in the case of lost humanity, that's true when it comes to saved humanity and the day when our works will be judged for the purpose of reward. What have we done with what we've been given? And when He chooses cities like Tyre and Sidon and Sodom, it is unmistakable, is it not, that just because you reject the truth politely, doesn't put you in a better position as if you had, than if you had rejected it pervertedly. Tyre, Sidon, Sodom, perversion. Yet, he says, it will be more tolerable for those cities than these Galilean cities. Because while some of the practices known in those pagan cities wouldn't necessarily characterize these Galilean cities, they were given more light. And they refused it. In fact, he addresses Capernaum specifically in terms of their exalted view of themselves. A city where the Lord resides, he knows this city well, and no doubt they have prided themselves, at least to some degree, based upon their knowledge and their morality. Will you be exalted to heaven? This is your view of you. This is your future. The exaltation of the people who live in such a city. No, you're going to be taken down to hell. Because you refuse to repent. So refusing the truth incurs guilt. Refusing the truth increases judgment. Third thing we see in our verses, refusing truth answers to the one refused. Refusing truth, the third woeful result of refusing truth, one day you're going to stand face to face with the one who sent you the truth. In the case of Jesus, they were meeting with the embodiment of truth. The truth was standing before them. In the case of our day, you're just meeting with messengers of the truth. People who've been redeemed themselves, sinners, saved by the grace of God. But what we must not miss is the message is coming through them, but it's not from them. If they're faithfully declaring the word of God, it is coming through them, but it has come from heaven. These are heaven's words. These are God's word. And one day if you refuse the truth of Scripture, you will meet with the author of Scripture and give an account to the Lord of heaven and earth. Someone could have said, Jesus, who are you to pronounce these judgments? Who are you to say with such certainty and zeal that it's going to be better for Tyre and Sidon than for us? More tolerable for Sodom than for us? Who who are you to say such a thing? And the answer is they're hearing from the one who's going to do the judging. You can be certain that what he's saying is the truth. And in these statements from our Lord, there are, there are some theological realities that we need to make sure we grasp. This judgment is coming. What will it be? When you talk about the truth refused, understand you're talking about grace refused. Grace refused. When you are given truth, it's grace We can say it this way, God doesn't owe anything to any of us. When Adam fell, he could have destroyed humanity at that moment and owed no apology. Since Adam's sin, the men and women who have followed Adam, if God had dealt with us according to nature, were deserving of his wrath, he could have destroyed us all, never offered salvation, never offered forgiveness, never offered redemption and he would have owed no one an apology. God doesn't owe salvation to man. You have angels who are volitional creatures and intelligent creatures, and they're able to communicate, and they fell, some of their number fell, and there is no salvation for angels. And God has done nothing wrong in not offering redemption to those angels. And God would have done nothing wrong if He had offered no redemption to us. But he has. And so when you meet with a message that offers you salvation and explains the way of salvation, it is the grace of God coming to you. It doesn't owe it to you. You see, someone could ask, if Tyre and Sidon would have repented, if Sodom would still be in existence, if they had received the light we've received, why didn't you give them that light? Why didn't you give it to Tyre? Why didn't you give it to Sidon? Why didn't you give it to Sodom? And the answer that is biblically sound but not popular is because God is sovereign in these things. He chooses where He is going to distribute His revelation. I think about our own nation. This this nation should tremble. You think about places on the earth that have never received the Scriptures And this nation has been saturated with the Scriptures. It's grace. And what have we done with that grace? But made a mockery of it. We have formally, as a nation, said to God, you are not welcome. Not welcome in our schools. Not welcome in our public displays of history. We choose to obliterate and eliminate all of the ties that we have to a Christian heritage. We want to get you out of our minds, out of our way. What kind of judgment? Obviously God's talking about people, but He's speaking as to what characterizes the people in a particular city. So what characterizes the people in this particular nation? And praise be to God for the remnant. The only thing preserving this nation, any form of sanity, is the church. But oh, what a responsibility. Oh, what an accountability the United States of America will have one day in light of the grace we've been given. God's sovereign in these things. Where He distributes His revelation, where He chooses to reveal something, when He chooses to reveal it, to whom He chooses to reveal it, he chooses the recipient. In fact, do you notice Jesus is going to celebrate this in the next section? Look at verse 25. We'll deal with this next week. At that time, I mean, as he's pronouncing these judgments, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father. For this way was well pleasing in your sight. This is what you've determined to do. And so, whatever light it is you and I have received, dear ones, it is because sovereign God chose to bring you what you have. Which means if you refuse it, you're not just refusing truth, you're refusing grace because not everyone has had the opportunities you've had. I mean, given the things you've been given. This reminds us that salvation is owed to no one. The truth that brings deliverance is owed to no one. It's astounding that God would be willing to forgive us so that what adds to our judgment is not just our knowledge of the truth, but the pride that wouldn't appreciate the grace. When you refuse truth, you're judged for refusing grace. You're also judged for opportunities wasted. Why not Tyre and Sidon? Why Chorazin, and Bethsaida, Capernaum? It was God's choice. But do you notice, Tyre and Sidon will still be judged. Sodom was judged, and its inhabitants will be judged in the Great White Throne judgment. Judgment is still going to come because Tyre will be judged for what Tyre was given. God has distributed differently, but each distribution represents an opportunity. What did you do with your opportunity? You see, it's not what did you do versus what someone else did. It's not what you were given versus what someone else was given. It is what have you done with what you were given? What have you done with that? And what is on display in our verses is that each one of us will have to answer for the opportunities we've we've had that God has given to us. What happens when we refuse the truth? We're judged not only for refusing grace, but rejecting and wasting the opportunities God gave us. We don't want to be found doing that, do we? Wasting the opportunities God is giving us. What will you do with what God is giving you right now? What will you do? With these days, this season of your life, these opportunities that are set before you to learn, to grow, to serve, what are you going to do with what is before you right now? And then something else we see is that His judgment will be just. Christ speaks in terms that indicate the judgment is certain and the judgment will be fitting. There are differences in the judgment. Hell will be hell for everyone who is there, but for some it will be more tolerable than for others. Heaven will be heaven for everyone who is there. But the Bible indicates there are differences in reward. And We have to admit there's a mystery to this. We, we've not yet seen what it will be like, but we dare not doubt Jesus. If the things that have taken place in your midst had occurred there, he says, they would have repented long ago. This this speaks of the patience of God, doesn't it? The patience with sinners that he has. Tyre and Sidon would have repented long ago. So how patient have I been with you, Chorazin and Bethsaida? Sodom would still be in existence if what has happened in your midst had happened there. So Capernaum, why do you still exist? I wiped them out. You're still here. Why? Yet the day is coming when judgment will arrive. And when that day comes, it will be more tolerable for the people who did not have the opportunities and the light that you had. The judgments will be just. The judgments will be fitting. The judgments will reflect the light you had. All men are in need of the gospel. All men by nature deserve the wrath of God. The the gospel has to go to the nations or they cannot be saved. But be sure of this, where men are lost forever and had less light than others who are lost forever, the judgments will be fitting. And so what he's emphasizing to these cities is, what opportunities have you been given? What graces have you been given? What a sinful willful blindness characterizes you. How terrible it is going to be. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often I would have gathered you. But you would not. You would not. And so as we close tonight if you know Jesus thank God that all your sins are forgiven what mercy what grace that he has forgiven you of all your transgressions past present future we don't live our lives under a load of guilt our guilt has been removed we don't stand in fear of the judgment that's coming upon the lost Christ took our judgment upon himself on the cross he paid for it in full But if you belong to that realm, if you have been saved, this matters to you. The the, the light you've been given, the grace you've been given, the opportunities you've been given, those things matter to you. You see, you you are like that servant of the master who's entrusted things into your hands until he arrives, and you are watching for his coming, and you want to hear that you've done well, or do you? Because if you don't, if you don't care, if if you... live as though He's never returning. You're giving evidence you don't belong to Him at all. So what graces have you received? What opportunities do you have? What will you do with them? And I exhort us, speaking first to my own heart and life, and I exhort you at the same time, let us respond in faith. Lord, I hear you. Let us Throw off every vestige of laziness. And by the grace of God, embrace with zeal this life that is set before us until we meet with Jesus face to face. If you can't see the truthfulness of God's Word, you're not not paying attention to the world around you. Dear ones, this is not the time to be asleep. This is the time to be awake. Amen? So, Lord, let us be awake. And then hear the heart of God. Ezekiel 18, 27. Why don't you turn there and we'll, we'll finish with this? Ezekiel chapter 18. Look at verse 27. If you don't know Christ, today's the day of salvation. Today's the day to set aside your sin and embrace the Son of God. You have met with light today, you have met with gracious opportunity today. Be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and your your sins will be forgiven. But for all of us, listen to the heart of God. Ezekiel 18, look at verse 27. Again, when a wicked person turns away from the wickedness he has committed and does what is just and right, he shall save his life. This is not saying that salvation is by works. It's speaking of what repentance looks like. And where there's repentance, there's salvation. Verse 28, because he considered and turned away from all the transgressions that he had committed, he shall surely live, he shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is not just. O house of Israel, are my ways not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? Therefore I will judge you. O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways declares the Lord God, repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you've committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. That's the heart of God. Turn and live. And the recipients of God's mercy would say, Oh, how merciful you have been to us, the God of our salvation, the one whom we love. How patient, how kind, how often, Lord, you tolerate our slowness of faith, giving us space for repentance because we are your children and disciplining us in ways that eventually bring us where we need to be. You don't let go of us. These things are too wonderful for us, too high for us. All we can do is give you our thanks. Thank you that our righteousness is not our own, it's a gift, it's the righteousness of your Son. Thank you that you've stationed us in your grace, but Lord, let our minds and hearts be full of the knowledge of what that grace imparts to us in the way of responsibility and accountability, so that we don't see grace as an excuse for sin, but an argument every moment of every day for a full submission of our lives to our Savior. Wake us up where we've been asleep. Fill us with energy where we have been lazy. Let tonight be for some one of your servants a night of fresh surrender, renewed vigor, and for all of us an important reminder not to waste our opportunities. And in that way, Lord, may your knowledge shine through your church as we take your word to the world. Not preaching ourselves, but preaching Christ. And desiring and striving in every step to display Him. Thank you for Jesus, who is our Lord, who is our life, who is our shepherd, who is our King, who is our head. We give you praise. We will forever give you praise. In Jesus' name. Amen.